You're tuned into Going Long with Bruce Murray. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce Murray, host of Going Long, the podcast where every week we spend some time with celebrities out of the world of sports who have a passion for the world of sports or those that made an impact in the world of sports, be it on the field, on the ice, on the courts, or off them in the broadcast business. And that's exactly where we make a stop today, talking with somebody who I think is truly underappreciated. And you may say that because I'm a fan, but the reality is you're going to hear a conversation with somebody that if you've been watching ESPN at any time over the last 30 years, you'll recognize the name Linda Cohen. And you will say, what's the big deal? Just another sports setter anchor. What I would tell you is this. Linda Cohn got involved in sports broadcasting before women were really involved in sports broadcasting. You'd have to ask yourself what motivated her to pursue something in an industry that back in the 80s, when she was part of WFAN's launch, she would have said, I think I can be a part of this. I grew up watching football on weekends. Jane Kennedy was there. Phyllis George was there. And that was really it. There were no women. Today, in every broadcast we turn on, there are women involved, be it on the sidelines or hosting talk shows, being anchors on television shows. And we don't really have an appreciate, appreciation for the fact that at the beginning, there were very few. And it really took somebody that was motivated and desired to do something that was not easy to get hired in. Make no mistake, this was an old boys industry 35 years ago, which is when I got to meet Linda Cohn. A little less than that, I exaggerate a bit. It was 33 years ago when we were both involved in the launch of WFAN, the first all-sports radio station in New York. And again, that's something else that we have no appreciation for because now every city has one, two, perhaps three all-sports radio stations. This was the first. We didn't know if it would make it. We didn't know if it would survive. And we certainly didn't know that it would launch the careers of some great broadcasters, one of them being Linda Cohn. I hope you appreciate everything you learn when you hear our conversation. I will say, Linda, in the world of life comes full circle, um, you and I met uh, 1987, correct? We met, it's 30, I can't believe how long ago that, that we first met each other. 87? I believe that is accurate, that it is 87. Yes, nothing earlier. That's when I, WFAN came into yeah. my life, you know, yeah. trying to make it. And, you know, back in the day, Bruce, as you know, because you were a part of that explosion, uh, just getting and being a part of WFAN in any capacity was like, oh my God, you've made it to the, you know, the pedestal of New York sports talk. And it was just wonderful to be a part of it. And I met incredible people like you, Bruce. And now look at you. Oh my goodness. Oh, well, forget about that. But, and, and now here we are some years later and you're on Sirius. It's on Mad Dog Radio, not on right. NFL, but and, and I know you're not in the same building that I'm in, but who's going into buildings anymore with COVID? Uh, right. And so we're kind of back together after all these years. So it's it's kind of nice. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, uh, full disclosure, uh, even though I'm out in L.A. now, the New York girl hit L.A. two years ago, loving it, thus the blonde hair, right? Yeah. Uh, have to <laughs> exactly. fit the part. Have to fit the part. But, uh, you know, I love not going into the studio. And in L.A., as you know, perhaps, Bruce, that you do know, uh, Sirius XM has an incredible looking studio in Los Angeles. And um, before COVID, I went down there a lot. But honestly, it's so comforting and great to be doing radio out of my apartment. And I think I'm better for it. I think I have become a better, a better radio broadcaster uh, because um, I've been able to do it at home 
Um, I think just less, it sounds crazy, but less distractions, just comforting, just, you know, everything at your kind of fingertips and, and there's no commute. That that's the best part. You wake up and listen, I've been working from my house for years. You know, people are right. always shocked when they hear about that. And, you know, I say, look, the technology's there. It used to be ISDN lines. Now it's just the internet. And I love when they go, so, so you have a studio in your house? And what I do is I always elaborate. I always go, oh yeah, you know, soundproof walls. They don't realize it's just a little box and a set of headsets and you can basically do it from anywhere. But, you know, you got to exaggerate a little. Theater of the mind, right? Yeah, and it kind of reminds me, you just brought back a flashback of when I was, uh, back in the day, a little news reporter when I first got out of Oswego State and trying to make it in the business in any capacity. And when I filed reports, uh, I don't know, do you remember that, like, you had to unscrew the, the phone oh, and you had to put yes. this contraption put the on the alligator it. clips on it, right? There you go. There was alligator <laughs> clips, and then, then later it moved up to just the one thing that just actually <laughs> screwed on an old school phone. And then that was your mic. And you talked into it and you could do your reports and file your reports over the phone that way. And that's how I did my first sports reports. You know, when I was working, my first job was with a a radio station in Patchogue, Long Island called WALK Radio, 50,000 Water. It's my big break in radio. And I started out in radio before all the TV stuff. And so that's what I used to do. And, you know, the first sports team I covered was the New York Islanders which was difficult because I, as you know, I'm just a big Rangers fan. It's so upsetting but, to me. It's yes, so upsetting. You, I know. You got to start somewhere. But anyway, you brought me back to that flashback of, you know, so that's why it's you're fun, It's funny because you tell people now it's a very simple thing. It's a box and some headphones, and that's all it is from your home now. We're in 2020. You know, it's funny because whenever I, I, I reminisce with, with people who I've known for a long time and you talk about the way the business used to be, I always sound like that old guy because when <laughs> I first met you, um, I was a producer. I was actually yeah. not even a producer. I was a desk assistant and oh, wow. I was cutting yeah. tape with a razor blade, like on those. <laughs> I remember that. You know, I mean, yeah. with the reel to reel tapes and yes. you'd have the crayon and you'd cut it and you'd splice yes. it together and it never yes. worked. And, you know, now, Try- of course, everything's digital. You know what? Have you ever tried telling your kids that? I haven't attempted those stories with my kids. They'd look at me like I was from Mars if I said we used a razor blade and we put exactly what you just described. And it just, you're bringing back all these archaic memories, but I'm glad you are. Yeah, You know, I don't even bother because unless you can, like, they can't even visualize what, it, like, if, if I say VH, VHS machines, <laughs> they don't know what it means. I'd have to show them, like, a video on YouTube about what that all meant. So... It just, as you know, it goes, and I'm sure that when my parents told me stories about what they were growing up with, I was like, yeah, that doesn't mean anything to me. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't even try to share it with them. I just say I've been doing this for a long time. That's what I do when I talk. Yeah, that's smart. Absolutely but, smart. But, and I, I want to say before we get into, you know, the fact, you know, we almost take it for granted that you've been doing this as long as you've been doing it because, you know, women weren't in this business a long time ago. It just, and I'm amazed that you grew up wanting to do this, but I want to pay you a compliment because I I really thought this when we were getting set to do the podcast, you and I have known each other for a long time, but we would go years without seeing each other. We would go without talking to each other. And every time I would see you, you always, always made me feel like I'd seen you yesterday <laughs> or that we hadn't stopped. And I was like, there's something very, because spe- you, you became a big TV star Ugh. and you never beca- never went to your head. And maybe you treated other people differently. But with me, it was almost like we never lost touch. And I, I had a great appreciation for that. That's, that's a great compliment to you. 
Yes, it is. And thank you for making it. And, you know, when I look back on everything and all of that, and I've always tried to, you know, treat everybody the same, but, you know, Bruce, of course I treat you special. Thank you. But I, you know, (laughs) I, I, I haven't let anything go to my head because the one lesson that I've always learned is like, whether it's TV or radio, you have to make believe as you probably know that someone's listening to you or seeing you for the very first time. And you want to make that great first impression. And I never forgot that. And I think that's one of the reasons and uh, for my longevity and for my success. Yeah, I, I'm glad you say that. I mean, I always believe that in doing radio, especially where you can't see or measure your audience, oftentimes that I know my dad is out there listening. So right. there's at least one person. After that, it, it may be a blank slate, but it, it just <laughs> kind of keeps you going during the day. Because, you know, it's funny. You know, you say you've got to make you've got to wonder if somebody's seeing you for the first time. It's that first impression. But you know what? I've oftentimes used my parents and said, when I'm doing something, are are they going to be happy to hear this? It's an odd way to kind of do things, but I don't want to offend certain people. And if I'm not offending them, I'm probably not offending other people. And I'm not worried about offending people in, in certain ways in conversation, but just in terms of the rhetoric that we have certain times, which I think you'd agree in sports radio, especially has gotten to a point where like in all walks of life, it's gone over the deep end. It kind of makes me uncomfortable from time to time. It's great that you have your, that measuring stick that your dad, you know, that's someone obviously, uh, you know, someone that's means so much to you and you trust his judgment. Um, That's how my parents were to me, especially my mom. When I first started at ESPN And even before that, you know, working seven days a week in New York, doing radio updates, sports updates, sports reports. And I would need to hear what she had to say in everything, you know. Um, And so, sure, you know, people like us that are in this business, I think if we I don't want to say it's a fault. I think it drives us. We are uh, very concerned about the external. Right. About how we're judged, how we're coming across, um, you know, who we're who likes us, who doesn't like us, why it doesn't matter. But the only time it does matter is if it's someone you love and trust that is giving you their honest opinion. And that's always been a great barometer for me. But by the way, a little background, my father-in-law grew up in Patchogue. Oh, nice. Grew up fishing in Patchogue. Now lives in Washington, D.C., but I hear about Patchogue all the time, the small fishing town, and then, of course, where, where you started your career. But, that's right. You, know, you said something interesting. Do, do you get caught up? in learning, especially in today with social media, where it's almost impossible to avoid. Do you worry about what people say about you? You know what? I, I have the best advice I got and reaffirmed over and over again was by my grown daughter. You know, she's 29 now, but she told me this when she was 25. And I was like in the midst of the social media explosion four or five years ago, when if you weren't on social media, what the hell are you doing in this business? So I would. By the way, Linda, I, I, yeah. I, interrupt. I was very resistant. I joined Twitter maybe a year and a half ago. And yeah, so that's late. By the way, I'm not on Instagram. I just, there's so much noise and so much anger. I just didn't want to do it. And like you said, now you're like, if you're in this business, you almost have to. But go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you can. It, it's your podcast, Bruce. You can. <laughs> um, you. Yes, okay. Um, but uh, the whole social media thing is, and she gave me this great advice and reminded me of something I already knew, but I needed, you know, my grown daughter to tell me, you know, who's all about and grew up with social media and all of that. Um, just telling me, first of all, don't even look at the mentions. 
and don't judge the great ones. Don't put them on some pedestal and frame them on the mantle because they mean nothing. And they mean just as much as the people that are in their basement tweeting about you and saying, you know, whatever they're saying, and they're saying it, but they all mean the same, zero. And that really kind of set me straight. So I went on Twitter early, 2009, I went on Twitter and um, I wanted, and I did it to connect with my fans. And 90% of the time, it has been used that way in a positive way. But there's always 10% of just like, you know, and it has gotten worse. And sadly, Bruce, you have jumped into the fray when it's at an all-time low in the last, whatever, year and a half. I know. But but you know as well as I do, look, it, it, I don't even care if you're in this business or not in this business. We all have egos. Um, and we all like some recognition. And I know just from doing radio, a guy calls up and goes, hey, great show. I listen every right. day. And, and right. At that moment, you're like, all right, I feel pretty good about that. It makes me yeah. feel good. So, yeah. it, it, you know, everybody kind of internalizes those things differently. We all want to say out loud, that stuff doesn't bother me. I don't read it. But I think to some extent, you know, we're not all telling the truth when it comes to that stuff. Some of it take it more personally than others. Yeah, but it just, again, depends, Bruce, who's it coming from, right? right. So if it's your avid listeners who listen to your show, you know, on uh, Sirius XM NFL Network Radio, and they, they, you believe them. I mean, they might say that just so you'll be easy on them, but right. it doesn't matter. They're listening to your show. You should only care about the people that are, you know, are signing your paychecks because obviously you are doing something great, (laughs) right? And you get the appreciation and love from those people because as you know, if you weren't doing a good job, you would be a goner. There's so many lining up behind us uh, to do what we do. So that's, I do, that's when I do want to let, you know, I hear like, you know, the great Steve Torrey, the program director of Sirius X and Mad Dog Radio, he gave me this opportunity and his tips and, you know, Eric Spitz, all these guys give me great tips and it's made me a better sports talk show host. And those are the guys I care about. Those are the guys I listen to because they've been doing it and they know something. So it just, you just filter, Bruce. You just yeah. have to filter who's giving you uh, the comments and you have to take the ones that aren't worth it with a grain of salt. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you something. And I've truly come to believe this. Oftentimes, the best evaluator of what you're doing is yourself. Because I say this to people all the time, and you've been in the business long enough to know exactly what I'm talking about. We work in the mutual admiration business. Yes. So done with a show. Everybody goes, great show, great show. Yes. You get called to the principal's office and they go, you know, you're fired. And all along, you thought you were doing great work because everybody's telling how good you are. And listen, I mean, I don't want to mention specific names, but there are often times when opportunities are given to people on national television. You sit yes. back, what do they think? That's true. That's this true. This isn't going to work. And you find out years later that it didn't work, but you know as well as I do, when they finished a specific broadcast, every producer on the show, oh, yeah. every assistant was going, oh, you were great tonight. You were do you wonderful. know why? Do you know why? Because I, I don't that know producer, why. I really don't. No, that producer and executive producer, uh, it has the pressure on them to make their talent great if the talent is not great as it is yep. and if the talent does not de- deserve to be sitting in that chair. So they have to kind of kiss the butt of that talent and make it easier on that specific talent, not us. But I know what you're saying. I've gone through decades of like watching others get primary and prime spots and highly paid gigs and all of that. 
And that's another life lesson that I tell young people all the time in the business, looking to get in the business, you cannot worry about what other people are doing. It just, it's does nothing to do with you. It may, it, it, it literally, it may really have nothing to do with you. And you don't know the reason why that person was hired or a person you thought was great, or maybe yourself was great that deserves an opportunity. That's just the business. It's like in Hollywood, it's entertainment. It's the same thing. You know, people that should have gotten roles didn't get the role. And it's just, you know, we've accepted it along the way, but you're right. And what's really sad is the fact when you knew that person wasn't going to make it, you're not in a CEO role or a hiring role. And that CEO is still paying that person off. And you're like, oh my God, that's a nice gig if you can get it. Let me make tons of dough, be fired and still get paid. So, so you never, you've, I mean, I'm going to admit this. I've had jealousy. I mean, you know, there are guys that have had far better situations. And I've said, the only reason they're doing it and I wasn't was because they got the opportunity or they knew somebody or they fell into it. You've never had that jealousy? Because I know I have. Oh, I'm a, hey, I'm a Scorpio, Bruce. Uh, Scorpio women, uh, I'm telling you, one of the traits is they're jealous. <laughs> okay. So you have it. Uh, yeah, of course, but that's part of the drive. I mean, that that you can take it as a positive, and I've used it as a positive. You know, a couple of times it got in the early early stages of my career it would get me really down. I'd be like, "What else do I have to do? What's wrong with me?" You right. know, and that's when you start picking yourself apart. And for a woman, it's tougher, Bruce. You know, it's just reality. It's you know the whole look and the whole thing. And even when I was younger and stuff, I had I picked myself apart because wait, there has to be a reason, you know, is it how I look and how I sound, whatever, and which might have nothing to do with my, what's really the hiring points when you hire someone in our business. But I sure I felt that way. If, listen, if if you're in this business and you didn't feel jealous for someone uh, at least once in your career, uh, that's abnormal because as we, as you mentioned earlier, we all have egos and especially in this business, that's what drives us. So to my point, that's what drives me. You know, I could have just you know, said, I walked away from this business back in the 80s and just said, you know what? I'm not making any money. I'm working seven nights a week, seven days a week. No one's given me a shot. Uh, when I do see other people getting opportunities in New York City TV or whatever it was, because I didn't want to leave New York, but right. I had to. I had to go to Seattle to get my first break um, in TV, uh, like at a CBS affiliate. And it, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. But uh, sometimes, as I also say to people, not everyone's road is the same. And the meaning of success or that pot of gold at the end of the road is different for everybody. And no matter how long it might take for you to get there, you might along the way be finding other things that grant you that peace and that success. And I feel that's how it was with me, Bruce because it slowed me down. When I was you know, in New York City at FAN, at ABC Radio Network, when I was the only woman doing sports, at CBS AM, uh, back before WFAN, when I was doing, it's, working for Ed Ingalls at WCBS AM before the fan, okay? Covering the Mets, covering the US Open, covering Rangers and Islanders hockey, you know, covering the Knicks, these kind of things. Um, I, I was like, wait, well, what about that person? I'm the one that's working my butt off and not getting a reward. So, you know, you just learn to deal along the way. But what I was getting at, I'm sorry, that um, going to Seattle, that 
that big break, which I created because I thought to myself, you know what? I need to get out of New York. I need to, even though people were going right to doing the big jobs in New York, I go, I need to get out. This, this is not my road. I need to get out. And, and Seattle slowed my life down, Bruce. It, um, I, I was able to start a family. Uh, I really realized what was important, balance. So I don't regret anything. Now, you know, financially staying loyal to places, which I have done. Um, mm -hmm. Loyalty is another big Scorpio trait for a Scorpio woman, by the way, loyalty. And that's what I have been, you know, and I could have jumped, but I've just put other things more, you know, made them more important. And I know that sounds cliche, but when I look back, I know that was the most important thing. And I have two amazing children and that's all that really at this point in my life, all that matters to me. And yeah, I mean, I'm still glad I'm getting a paycheck, still doing hosting. I'm going back to ESPN sports and not that I left, but this pandemic put a big pause in it uh, for my sports center shifts in Los Angeles that's yeah. returning. Um, so I'm still doing it. And I never thought I'd still be doing it at this point in time. By the way, neither did I. But but two things, you know, <laughs> there's always moments in time that I reflect on that, you know, do teach you some of those lessons. You talked about what your daughter said to you. Um, I, I never forgot this. I, I, I once had the opportunity to, to uh, host the Bill Parcells show. This is going back nice. decades ago. Yeah. And I remember when Steve Spurrier got hired to be the head coach of the then Washington Redskins. Now, of course, it's the Washington football team. And I said, doesn't it bother you? Steve Spurrier is getting like four million bucks a year or something like that. And here you are. And he said to me, he goes, I once learned this lesson from my dad. If you're worried about what others around you are getting or doing, you're never going to be happy because somebody's always going to be better off. And I never yeah. forgot that. It doesn't make it easy. I mean, there are still people I'm like, seriously? But I'll tell you right. something else. Working at home, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, especially in this business, there's a lot of backstabbing that goes on. When you're in the same building every day with people that are wondering, why does he have this job? I should have that job. You may, you may wonder why somebody else got the job. There are people who wondered why you got the job. Right. I find not being in that dynamic, being out of the building and working, to just be a lot healthier for your mental health. You don't hear all the backstabbing and the soap opera that goes on with people wondering why he's doing this and that. It's just a much better place to be, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, that was really, uh, you've hit it on the head. I don't have that. I agree. Everything is better at home. Okay. There's no question. If I could host sports center for my home, I was able to host in the crease, which is a hockey highlight show. Uh, I do on ESPN plus I was able to do that in a home studio, wow. uh, in my home. Yeah. They set up this little camera and a tripod and it was an iPad and, I'm like, okay, what, what, what a laptop. Yeah. But who cares? I, you know, that, it, I did yeah. it. I, you know, it doesn't matter who gives it, you know? And so I, I, uh, so I did that and, uh, and it was so great, you know, and, and, and I'm hoping when hockey returns and whenever it returns, February, January, they'll still let me do it from my home. I'm going to push for that. But sports center, I'm not looking, I mean, I love doing sports center even after all these years, but uh, me going back to the studio now after I haven't been back in since mid-March, yeah, you know, but, and so it's crazy. And, and the other thing is, it's so different out in Los Angeles, Bruce, than the way Bristol, Connecticut was for three decades for me or less than that when I left there. Yeah. Um, it's just it's it's similar to what you just described. You know, everyone it's everyone really adores each other pretty much like it's family but then you don't know, right. You don't know what they're saying behind your back. You, you know who you have your small sample size of who you can, you know, really trust. But I think that's the way it is in 
every big corporation. Yeah, and I, agree. I, I get it that it, you feel more at home, no pun intended, being away from the studio. Yeah, I will say, by the way, and, and I originally wanted to start the conversation with just your path to where we are right now, because, you know, you grew up on Long Island. You're somewhat of an enigma, by the way. And you and I don't line up on much of anything except for the Giants. You love the Rangers. Yeah. I love the Islanders. Um, you like the like you like the Giants, the Knicks and the Rangers. Somehow the Mets yes. got in there. I mean, I, I yes. don't understand that. Well, at all. Do you want any other story? It's a short I, I one. Do, I do, but it's upsetting to me because I'm, oh. I'm Islanders Nets. That made sense. Same building. Long yes. Island. And Yankees Giants also made some sense. Your, yes. your whole dynamic, that, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense. So go ahead and explain it to me. Really easy. My dad, who's no longer with us, he's the guy, man. He, he got me involved in sports first and foremost. I saw his passion. I saw him drop F-bombs left and right. And then I saw him how he celebrated a victory, you know, by all the aforementioned teams. I figured instead of following in the footsteps, the first team I loved was the Knicks, then the Rangers with him, and of course the Giants uh, as well. That They were probably the first team that I loved uh, with him and watched games with him. Uh, but I just, he was such a big Yankee fan. And I, I was like, I felt the Mets needed my support more, bros. They needed my support. They needed my fandom. They, so did the and, Islanders. Yeah, that's true. I actually, <laughs> full disclosure, when I first discovered hockey way back when, when I was playing street hockey before I played ice hockey, um, and growing up on Long Island, way out east, the Islanders, I used to, before cable, I, before I got cable, I listened to the Islanders, you know, a couple of years after their existence on the radio. With John Sterling. On the radio. Yes, I'm pretty sure it was John Sterling. It was, yeah. um, and so that was for the first year, I would listen to the Islanders and followed them. And then they, of course, didn't make the playoffs. And then my dad was started, was watching the Rangers. This was 19, this was a, I'm dating myself, but who cares? Anyone could just look up how old I am. 73-74, the Rangers were in the playoffs. The Islanders were not. And uh, the Rangers lost uh, to the Philadelphia Flyers. Right. And, you know, um, and, but it was an incredible, exciting run even to that point. And along the way, of course, they lost them in the semifinals. And um, I just loved it. I thought, this is so, ex there's so much more exciting. This is great play. Because actually, I probably fell in love with playoff hockey, seeing it on TV, because we eventually got MSG. And I was just listening to the Islanders on the radio. And obviously their level of hockey at that time was not great. And so the combination of Islanders, not as great at the Rangers that time right. and B playoff hockey, watching it with my dad for the first time, I was like, all right, I like this kind of game. I like this kind of team. And then I just stayed loyal. I will say, you know, I, I remember as a kid and, and when you're young and that passion for sports is just like off the charts there's there's nothing lower than the lows that come with it and then erasing those memories with the highs and you're a Rangers fan so you'll appreciate this one of the low points in my life as a kid was was it's it must have been 78 79 when the Islanders had the most points in the league and lost yep. to the Rangers in six yeah that was also I didn't have cable tv so we had to drive to Massapequa where my <laughs> friend who was a Ranger fan his parents were divorced and his mom lived in Massapequa and they had cable. So we would drive out there and the Ranger fans were thrilled and we were coming back so sullen. And then just a couple of years later, I'm in college when Ken Morrow scored the overtime goal against the Rangers 
And so you have these incredible lows with all the guys you grew up with, and then those incredible highs with those same guys you grew up with. And that's, that's like the definition of childhood when you're a sports fan, isn't it? It sure is. And that's just so great what you just said, because you just described me. You know, I can handle the lows because the highs are so amazing. They're so amazing. And then sadly, uh, you know, I, I go another level, Bruce. I don't know if you do, but the teams that you dislike as a, you know, diehard New Yorker, I went through my, I, I hope the Islanders lose all the time phase, all the time. So, you know, I even was, I was even ecstatic the year before you lost to the Rangers in that year you mentioned when they lost to the Toronto Maple Leafs oh, to Mike a hot goaltender. That's right. Oh. And I mentioned oh. him on the air because I was, I also host a show on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. And I brought up Mike Palmatier, and oh, I loved his mask, and I loved painful. everything about. He turned his another great Islander team that went down, and I was like, "This was like my team winning a cup." That's and hey, guess what? This is going to destroy you as well. So this this is the favorite story I like to tell. I've told it on Mad Dog Radio multiple times to the Yankee fan listeners. I said, and it, and I'm happy to say it. I mean, it, it shows what kind of person I am, and how, how what a diehard Met fan I am. But when the Yankees Okay, we all remember it was obviously sad and devastating. It still breaks my heart, obviously, to this day, 9-11. And so the Yankees, of course, you know, went on to play the Diamondbacks. And everyone and their grandmother in our country, probably around the world, were cheering for the New York Yankees. You know who Linda Cohn was cheering for? Like with a passion. Of course. Unreal. I was jumping up and down. It was like the Mets won the World Series. I want to tell you two things, because I appreciate that. That's what being a fan is. Um, two things. One is I brought my kids up to be Islander fans and we have two favorite teams. Just so you know, we're Islanders fans and anybody playing the Rangers. And if you, <laughs> if you ask them, the, if you say, do you have two favorite hockey teams? They're going to go, yeah, the New York Islanders and anybody playing the Rangers. <laughs> That's great. And just to kind of share your sentiment, I grew up as a Yankees fan. So I had that same hatred for the Mets. And how about this in 86? Yes. I'm a Yankees fan. They're yep. playing. The Mets are playing the Red Sox. And I realized what my emotions were telling me. I was rooting for the Red Sox. And you know Incredible. why I was rooting for the Red Sox? Because I'm living in New York City. And if the Red Sox win as much, as distasteful as it may be, my friends are not Red Sox fans. I don't have to listen to them. <laughs> they are. And of course, I remember walking out of my, a friend of mine's apartment before the game was over because I didn't want to be around when the Mets won the World Series. That's how... So, you yep. are not here much. We're similar. If, We're if you're similar. outside of New York, you don't understand the passion that New York fans have. Oh, when, yeah. I'm sure you've run into people that go, who's your favorite team? And they go, oh, you know, I like both the Rangers and the Allens. And I go, you're not a fan. That's right. It. You're not a fan. I can't be. I say the same thing. And then people out of New York, when they say, oh, how come you don't like both? Can't do I it. Don't even, I don't even give them an answer. I give them a look, Bruce. <laughs> yeah. A look of disdain, <laughs> I would hope. That's right. It is. So, so again, I, I, I always get sidetracked. I wanted to get to this. You're growing up <laughs> on Long Island. Yeah. And you, you were close in age. And, you know, when I was a kid, the only women on TV were Jane Kennedy and, and um, who was? Phyllis who, George. Phyllis George. That was it. So there was no path for women to do sports radio. It was almost like, what, what, I don't, and it was, it looked as sexist as it may sound, Kids my age all felt that way. Like, right? Why? You can't do that. You're a, you're a right. girl. Right. Right. So, well, a couple. Why of would you have ever about thought that. that this was going to be your path? Yeah, I mean, a couple of stories regarding that. I mean, I was in college at Oswego State, and remember, I played ice hockey. I also, you know, I I 
I love playing tennis, but I remember my first semester at Oswego State, I thought it was a good idea to be on the tennis team and also be on the hockey team. And it was a, uh, had a, at Oswego State, it was great. There was a women's hockey team. First time yeah. I played ice hockey with women. And uh, next thing I knew, I was on academic probation, 1.8 GPA, <laughs> because it wasn't high school, meaning I... <laughs> I slid through high school. I don't even know how I got my straight C's or C pluses. But um, college was much harder, believe it or not, even though they told you, oh, take these courses. They're cake courses. Right. Yeah, I got D's and C minuses in these cake courses. So anyway, I was on academic probation. I had to drop tennis, but I still had the hockey. But my, my point is, one of my, a couple of my close friends when I was a freshman – so I just had turned 18 because I'm a November kid. So, you know, I went to college in my freshman year when I was 17. So um, I, we're all sitting around, whatever, having a few beverages. Must have been when I was 18 because back then no, you right. were allowed to drink no, when you're 18. I don't want to get right. – that's right. Uh, and now, you know. So the anyway, statute of limitations I, has expired, yeah, by the way. That's, that's right. You violate okay. the law. The statute's okay. expired. You're okay. Okay, good to know, Bruce. Good to know. Uh, so anyway, I'm like uh, – we're all talking around, oh, so what do you want to do? What do you want to be? You know, but we're only freshmen. It seemed like forever, a long time away when we had to be grownups. And right. I told my friend Allison and Sherry, um, by the way, Allison and Sherry went to Oswego State. Allison was from uh, like New Rochelle and Sherry was from Plainview. So it was like, I just brought Long Island, basically New York to Oswego State. So anyway, I said, you know, I want to be a sportscaster. They looked at me like I was from Mars. My friend Allison said to me, what? A sportscaster? First of all, there are no women doing sports. And second of all, you're a Jewish girl from Long Island. How are you going to be a sportscaster? And that resonated with me. And then my answer was, I don't know. I mean, I just figured I'll just keep trying. Let's first, you know, and then I was like, I graduated Oswego State. And then I thought, all right, let me, and I worked at the radio station in Oswego and, you know, and I did all those internships and, you know, and then I'm like, I got the job at WALK radio, but in news, Bruce, I had to get the job in news but to you hone my skills. How'd you get I, the job? I, how'd I get the, at WALK radio? Because yeah. I had like a, a cassette tape of how I sounded on the radio and all the, uh, my resume, I still remember how beautiful the resume was of just old college stuff. And a guy by the name who's the news director, Frank Brinka, gave me an opportunity to do news updates on a uh, top 40, no, adult contemporary music station. And wow. that station, WALK, I'm getting to the whole thing, how it became back to sports, is that they covered the Islanders, Bruce. They covered the Islanders. I started there in, you know, 82, and they covered the Islanders. They did the broadcast. And I, I asked Frank Brinka, the news director, I said, listen. You don't have to pay me anything. Just pay for my gas. I will cover with my little recorder. I'll go to the Nassau Coliseum. That's an hour each way. And I will file 45-second reports on the games. I'll go in the locker room. I'll do all the reports and just pay for my gas. Wow. And so, you know, it's an old school story, but it opened doors for me, Bruce, because that's where I met Ed Ingalls from WCBSM. And that's where really? I met so many others in our business. In those early 80s, and you you mentioned 1984 and the Ken Morrow goal. I mean, I was at the Nassau Coliseum, and I was, first of all, sidebar, again, I, um, I'm sitting there in the press box trying to be objective, and then when my boy Don Maloney tied it up with 31 seconds to go, and all those Islander fans were like, 
they were like so upset. They were like, they, there was some that had already left. They left to be trafficked before Don Maloney tied it up in regulation. They had left the building thinking you already beat the Rangers in game five. And I was like, screw you. You know, I was like, you know, really losing it. Like those freak <laughs> fraudulent Islander fans, they didn't even stay. And now look, we're, we tied you up. I remember Frank Brown, who used to cover the Daily News, you know, he was there and he was like, he covered the Rangers for the Daily News. And he looked at me, it's like, sit down. I mean, that's the only time I lost it, you know, because one of my favorite players tied it up. Half the Coliseum left the building thinking he had a win. And then, of course, yes, Ken Morrow won it. And I always remember Glenn Hanlon, who, nice guy, but wasn't a great goaltender, right. just kind of skating off after the goal. And then I just kind of, you know, and then, you know, I had to cover the, and I had to go into the dressing room and cover the Rangers. Um, and that, dis, that, I'll always remember like an Anders Hedberg, just down in the dumps. Like, this is how I learned. So, that opportunity happened because me volunteering, Bruce, and it created other opportunities. And by the way, Ken Moore had one of the worst shots in, in hockey history and scored. <laughs> yes. he, couldn't, he couldn't get the puck off the ground if yeah. his life depended on it. And he, it just Han Hanlon never saw it. He never saw it. It was a screenshot. And by, and by the way, two things that you've reminded me of, full disclosure, <laughs> uh, Don Maloney's brother, Dave, I think he's Love going him. to podcast soon. Nice. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to talk to a ranger. But but Dave Maloney's son is actually my son's hockey coach. No. My son plays for the Connecticut Junior Rangers, and I won't let him bring his equipment into the house because <laughs> it has a Rangers insignia on it. So it stays in the garage. You're but amazing. It's, and it's, I thought it was because it smelled, because most well, hockey does, it, smell. It, it, yeah, yeah, you know what that stuff smells. Yeah, I, mean, I do. Good. It's not it's good. It's not good. Not good. No, I think that has to do with my amazing. wife not wanting it in, but it, it's the Rangers <laughs> insignia and Connecticut's in really small letters, but it says Rangers. I yeah. can't have it in the house. I can't do it. I, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy talk, Bruce. So, so I also say when I thought this is what I wanted to do, and I, and by the way, you know this, cause you've known me from the beginning. I wasn't pursuing a job on the air. I kind of followed a path almost by accident. I thought right. I was going to be in production. I was at ESPN. Um, when radio started as a producer, I thought I was going to follow the executive path. I only got into this because I was in, I was at ESPN. I didn't like living in Bristol, Connecticut. I think I was like 26, a single guy. It was yeah, say no more at the time. There yeah. was no fraternizing policy. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do up here? Right. And I got a call from, you'll remember Andy Poland. Yes. Who was at WFAN. Yes. He yes. was working at the all sports radio station in DC. In DC. Yeah. And he said, you want to come down and do overnights? And I was like, heck, I want to get out of Bristol. Sure. Why not? And that's how that happened. But my parents were always like, you know, you, you may want to just have something to, it was the classic, have something to fall back on. Jewish parents, right. you are right. Jewish parents. Yep. I, and I never did. So were your parents trying to talk? Look, it was a challenge for me. And I was a guy. You were a girl. Were your parents yeah. saying, what, what are you doing? We're going to be supporting you for the rest of your life? Yeah. Yeah. I always had a backup plan because of that. I did. I knew so that was your backup I plan? wanted to stay in sports. Yeah. If I wasn't, if I didn't get, you know, I love doing radio. And again, I didn't get that sports talk role until later in my life. So um, I was just doing updates and things. Right. So, um, but I, got the TV thing again, a volunteering at local Long Island TV and all that. And I kept saying, okay, if the TV thing doesn't work, all right, at all, 
um, I'm going to push harder to get radio, do more radio. And if the radio stuff doesn't work and I find doors are closed for whatever reason, then I'm going to go, I want to be a PR person for a team that I love. And if it's not for a team that I love, then it's going to be a hockey team, you know, some team, and maybe I'll move, you know, and that's how it went, Bruce. I wanted to stay in sports. And I just went to figure it out, okay, I'll just try different careers that'll keep me close to the sport I love most, which was hockey and the NHL. And then if that didn't work, then the NFL, because that's my, you know, second favorite, you know, by far, even though I love the Mets and I love baseball, but, um, you know, I just love the NFL, just, you know, everything about it. Um, but the NHL is because I played the game. Yeah. So that's how I did it. So it was me because um, I didn't want a real job, right? Who wants a real job? And I don't think I was, I don't think I had any other dramatically great traits to find. I couldn't even tell you what else I could have been doing, you know, if I wasn't involved with sports. And by the way, I couldn't write for a newspaper because my journalistic writing skills were awful. That was one of the bad grades I got. I didn't know what sentence fragments were in my intro to journalism class. So I can only talk. By, by the way, as a female hockey player, you'll appreciate this. I'll throw a name out at you that I guarantee the people listening to this podcast will have never heard of. My wife's roommate in Atlanta, Georgia, was Mano Rayon. Oh, you remember the goaltender? I met her. I played a celebrity hockey tournament oh, you did. with her as well, and I was, was the goalie. She decided not to be a goalie in this celebrity. It was a Luke Robitaille event, and uh, I love Mano Rayon. She's amazing. And that was your wife's roommate? That she's was my a, wife's roommate. And I think, I think she's, the story a, she's is, wonderful. You would answer her fan mail and sign her name to stuff. I think I may have just said something I'm not allowed to say on the radio, but yeah, she would say she would get the <laughs> fan mail and sign it and send it out for her because she was, you know, a very popular figure, you know. This yeah. Story. Remember the big story, obviously, as people, you're, uh, you know, people don't know is that she uh, played an exhibition game with the Tampa Bay lightning. Right. Uh, and which was truly amazing. It was, you know, you know, Phil Esposito, it was his idea. You know, he, that was when he was a GM, you know the story. But, uh, you know, it was his way. It was sort of like, uh, who was the guy uh, in baseball that you make that comparison with the White Sox who did all oh, those yeah, crazy well, stunts? The short, was, uh, yeah. Yeah, or was it Bill Finley with the, I, I, or Oakland A's? I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know, but it was that kind of ca- um, character to right. bring people in and, and track people. And so at that time, back in the day with Tampa Bay, this was pre-Stanley Cups, uh, Phil Esposito was a GM and he thought and he liked Manon and he brought her in and she she was great and everything. But yeah, good stuff. That's a great little conversation yeah. piece, Bruce. Little, little tidbit. So so the other thing is too, and I know this from being in the business, and, and maybe it's it's sexist to say it this way too, but we don't work normal hours. I mean yeah. we work nights, we work weekends, you know, especially when you're starting your career. And so what what impact did that schedule have on your family when you were starting one? Yeah. Uh it was amazing, uh, challenging, amazing because it was so challenging. Uh, you know, I, uh, the, the guy that I married now divorced, but the guy that I married had my two amazing children with, uh, he was the right guy at the right time. I met him in college, but I met him so young, but it was my career. We all knew it was my career that was going to have, have the best shot of an, you know, an income, right? So I was the breadwinner. And he was and okay with he was okay with that. He was, but it was challenging wow. because it was actually challenging for me. I I think it became like and then he, and then when I we had our first child, my daughter Sammy, we had her in um, Seattle. He left the job, which you know wasn't making as much as me, um, 
in my Seattle job, but he left New York and he went across the country. We were married then. And it was definitely, I, I was just thinking about, this is my great opportunity working for a CBS affiliate and right. in sports. Right. And he went with it and it was fine. Then he got a job in Seattle, but it was really embarrassingly low paying. And he had to kind of change his field. So he would divot, he would adjust. He, I'm sure it bothered him, but he handled it because he saw the big picture. So anyway, when I got the ESP, oh, the quick uh, story is we had just moved to Seattle six months in. My agent at that time calls me and says, Linda, ESPN has spotted you and they want to fly you to Bristol for an interview with the great Al Jaffe. I threw in the great Al Jaffe. But I threw it. That's who I interviewed with, Al Jaffe. Who has it? Right. You had to go through Al Jaffe. That's right. I knew you would love that. So, um. I flew back for the interview and I remember my, my husband at that time and him telling me, I didn't move 3,000 miles out here for us to go all the way back to the Northeast six months later. Yeah. So that was the first time he said, hey, you know, what's with this? So I said to ESPN, sorry, it's not going to happen now. And then he said, you know, if they want you now, they're going to want you even more later because let's face it, you're going to be better. And it was a blessing because that's when I had my daughter. That's when I got better. I honed my television skills for the extra two years at KRO TV. I was better. I was a better reporter, better broadcaster, had great experiences in Seattle, had my daughter. And then, of course, they came calling again. Al came calling again. And then that's when I started my ESPN career in July of 1992. Yeah, but that, that's got to be tough because I'm thinking to myself, and look, I dragged my wife to Chicago. We weren't married yet. And she was like, I'm not going unless, you know, we're married. And I proposed to her. And I right. said, we'll good, go out for a couple move. of years. Ago. Yeah. I said, we'll <laughs> go out for a couple of years. We were young, didn't have children yeah. yet. I ended up staying there for 10 years. And, you know, it does create angst because, you know, you make yeah. promises. And I would imagine, you know, ESPN by then had established itself as as the leader in sports. And you probably well, wanted to go. I mean, did you not have any anger directed towards your husband at the time because you couldn't well, take that job? Yeah, well, I, you know, I, he was right, you know, in retrospect, and it, didn't, it only took me a matter of months to realize he was right in that case. The toughest challenge for me, getting back to your original question, was once I got to ESPN and then I was just doing the late sports center. So my kids, you know, my daughter was young at the time. She was only 15 months when I moved out, when we moved back to, you know, when we moved to Connecticut. Yeah. Um, and that Where'd was you live challenging. In Connecticut, by the way, where'd you live? A, pl- a place called Southbury, which okay. was a good 35 minutes away from Bristol. It was closer to New York. So instead of being two hours away from the city, I was an hour and a half away. I was, so in, I needed... I was, I was in Plainfield, the town next to Bristol, which is That's very, a descriptive, too close. Of, yeah, very yeah. descriptive of the town itself. But anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so you're doing the late sports center. So and- I'm doing late sports center and it was just difficult. You know, that, we didn't have nannies. I didn't have a nanny, but we, um, and my uh, husband at the time worked in Norwalk, Connecticut. So we picked Southbury because it was right in the middle. Right. right? So um, he was still working. And of course I was doing these crazy shifts where to paint a picture. I mean, you'd, you'd go in at six o'clock at night and you wouldn't leave till three in the morning. You know, and that was best case, really, uh, 3.30 sometimes. And then I'd have to get up early. I mean, he got up and he took care of the kids too, but I'd get up and then I'd have to go back to sleep. Oh. And then, you know, I had my second child, Dan, you know, four and a half years later uh, in 1996. 
And so um, I still was doing the late show primarily, the 11 Eastern or the 1 or 2 a.m. Eastern. While it was getting the most viewership, it was putting a hardship on everything. And so my, my husband at the time had to leave his job. Again, he wasn't the breadwinner and he wasn't making tons of dough, but he still had to leave his job because he thought, you know what, I can work at a home doing this thing and, you know, I can take care of the kids. We could save money on daycare because we were using daycare, like daily daycare. It was yeah. just awful. I mean, anyone who has kids out there knows it adds up. You don't see your kids, you know, all this kind of stuff. So that was where, when I look back on Bruce, it was like, I don't know why, you know, maybe I should have just said whatever and said, this is crazy. I want to see more of my kids. But that was part of my growth period because it was really hard. I mean, since I was the sort of guy in the family type of thing with the income, I felt the pressure to keep going and going and pushing and pushing. And if that's the only shift I got, well, I had to do it. And they and then there's some traveling assignments. And yeah. I don't know. I, I played the role a lot of the of the man, you know, when it comes to career, right? And it would, that part was challenging. And that does, that does work on a marriage. And that's really, that was one of the big reasons. I mean, again, I knew the man since I was 19 years old and we change decade after decade. Right. Uh, I'm sure people can relate to that. And that, but that, the hardship and the, um, with the career and, and seeing him in that light and him unable to be, you know, at least in that way, I mean, like I felt more of the man and that's not a good way to have a marriage. Um, you know, if you know what I mean. So, but, um, they would, but we get along great. Uh, I mean, we get along great. He's the greatest dad. My kids, uh, knew it was the right thing at the right time. Uh, when we, uh, the, you know, we got the divorce my son was 12 and my daughter was 16. Uh, it was tough at the beginning, but they realized within a year, like, yeah, mom, you did this. This was the best Thing to do for both of you. I see that. And they knew that like within a year. So it's tough. I, 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 and as we get off tangent here, and I always tell this to people and people our age, people younger, people older, you know, if they're going through tough times with their relationship, you know, and I worked on my relationship, we, we saw counselors and everything, but again, it's just, it, it might be the best thing. And you never want to stay in something um, because it does reflect on your kids, yeah. you know? And I would imagine too, not only is it tough on the husband in the relationship that you're the breadwinner, but you're also celebrity now. So when you're going to any function, it's like, oh, there's there's Linda Cohn. And oh, here's right. Her. I mean, that that, you know, say what you want. Again, in life, we all have egos, men, you know, more often than not, you know, large egos. And that that couldn't have been easy on him either being the, you know, on the arm of the celebrity in the relationship. Right. I mean, it, it definitely was challenging. Uh, he handled it great, though. Uh, he sure did. And then, um, you know, uh, after that, I, I met someone as well. I had a long relationship with someone and he had a deal with that and, and he handled it well for the most part. Um, but it's, it is challenging for guys. I mean, you know, I'm single now, you know, um, it's just, it's, it's tough. I'm not, you know, it's just a different kind of situation, but I never was the type and you know me for so many years and the nice things you said about me, I haven't changed. I mean, I'm very, humble and down to earth. And I like meeting people. I'm social, but I never, I never have been defined by my career. You know, I'm, I'm a happy, I'm more, I'm more defined that being a sports fanatic, yeah. uh, you know, or a woman that happens to love sports. And that is something that 
that's a great way that I would like to be remembered. You know, a woman who just always loves sports and the best compliment I've ever gotten, Bruce, and I've, I've said this many times, but it's really true early on when, you know, if I was on the right track, if people were liking me, you know, this was pre-social media, right. when pre guys would come, yes, pre-likes <laughs> and pre-mentions. And I knew I was on the right track because guys would come up to me and they would say, listen, Linda, I, you know, I just wanted to meet you. And I just never would take my sports from a woman before you. I don't think about that when you're up there and you're giving me the sports and reading a highlight and knowing how to put the exclamation mark on something. And, you know, that, and I would say to them, that's the best compliment I could ever receive. Thank you. And then second thing is, well, that's because I'm a sports fan like you, because I get it, because I was always connecting with the fan who was watching me. And I still do because I know they're like me. And by the way, I'm going to tell you something. I think what you said is critical because you know as well as I do, there are, there, there, especially in women, and I don't want to be sexist, but you know this, there are people that are in this business because they want to be on TV. And you can tell when they're not sports fans, when right. they're emphasizing the wrong thing, when they're not understanding the nuance of what they're telling us, you just know they're not sports fans. They're just yeah. on TV. And like you said, you were a sports fan. So you know you knew what was important. You knew where to get excited. It wasn't fake. And I, I again, without naming names, when I was in Washington, D.C., I remember watching some people audition for jobs. And I'm like, these people don't be, belong on TV, but they got right. hired. Because right. Maybe not their knowledge, but because of how they looked. That's our business, by the way. Right. And and you know, times is upsetting, but you can tell when somebody's a sports fan. Yeah. And again, that's one of the things I'll always look back on that. I'm proud of that, you know, that I wasn't one of those, um, you know, women. And, and sadly, they're still out there. The good news about it is the fact there are more qualified women on TV now no than, you know, back in the day, um, what you're referring to. And, and when I was starting and then even 10 years into my career and 15 years into my career and 20 years into my career, and so now better choices are being made because there are more qualified women for these jobs. So now they're competing against each other. Uh, but the, hey, does looks have something to do with it? Of course they do. I mean, you know, it's, you know, the jackpot for those who hire are women who know what they're talking about. And oh, by the way, they happen to be very attractive. Right. You know, that's a jackpot. I'm, I'm a realist. I get it. I understand that. Um, but I, would still like to see more women in management in sports, in those hiring positions, because right. they will look at it at a different way. Uh, I believe so. Um, and, you know, it'll be more of, um, there'd be more to, more to judge and not just, not just take the easy way, right. And make an easier decision. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of the act. And, and one more thing, Bruce, um, one thing I frown upon, and I've said this before, and, and you've, you've heard a lot about this, the past five years, a lot on social media, is the fact that I don't like to hear even the qualified women, like qualified women in sports who are so smart and there are so many out there. I don't even know why they waste their time complaining about their Twitter mentions. Getting oh. back to our earlier conversation. This is a pet peeve of mine, okay? There is nothing to gain than to retweet a guy with 18 followers and say, look at this guy and look what he said about me. That guy with the 18 but, followers is using honest, wait, wait. that woman to get attention. 
All right, but be honest, aren't they then using that person to get people to come out and tell them how great they are because they get to satisfy their ego? Because you know what you do when you say that? I think it's silly. I think it's Oh, that guy's a jerk. We love you. You're the best. That's why we do all of this. I know. I think it's a waste of energy on both sides. That's what I think. Even for the woman. you're, you're You're not a teacher in class, you know, teaching a lesson. See, this person... Look what he did. Look what she did. Whatever it is, could be a female ripping a female. We've seen a lot of enough of that. Yeah. Um, but there's no purpose for someone who I know what you're saying it's, it taps into an insecurity, right? But I always say, and I've said it on Twitter. You know, when this has happened, I've said, believe in yourself. You don't need to call attention to someone that doesn't deserve attention and who's only doing that to get attention. And you're falling into that trap. I agree with you. Listen, I, I got to let you go in a minute. Um, but I, I will ask you this before we close. I remember when I, I first got into this business and I thought to myself, what, what the hell am I going to do when I'm 40? Because I, <laughs> I always thought sports talk specifically yeah. was like rock and roll. Like oh, what rock and rock roll stars are going to do when they're 40? They got to find something yeah. else. Here we are with Mick Jagger and Bruce Springsteen and Paul McCartney. They're in their 80s or 70s and they're still doing yeah. it. And here we are still doing it. Did you yeah. think this was a was something that you could do when we got older? Or did you think, yeah, I'll do it until they move me on to something else and they go with the young kids and I'll find something else to do? What, what did you think when you first got in? Yeah, you know, when you first get in, you don't think about that. It's all about you and about, yeah. I did. <laughs> I don't think that far ahead. Look, you're a worry wart. You can't worry that much. Well, um, that's, the, that's the whole thing, you know. The whole Jewish ethnic, parents. The ethnic thing, yes. It's exactly. Um, but, you know, um, no, I mean, I think later in my career, especially TV, of course I right. thought of it because I've seen younger people, you know, get ahead and, you know, I just acknowledge it. TV is a different animal, but I am so grateful and thankful that, you know, there is a thing called Sirius XM. And um, I, I see myself as I look ahead now, you know, I see myself, you know, when the TV career ends, which, you know, who knows, could be sooner than later, could be within a couple of years, um, you know. I'm, I don't plan on stopping with the radio anytime soon because you know what, Bruce? I'm damn good at it. I have hot takes. I know sports. I rip people and I back it up with fact. And, you know, I there's so much I know and I want to share. Yet I love talking to people and I love interviewing people and I love taking phone calls. And that gets back to something I said earlier. I always love connecting with my fans and through, you know, doing a radio show. If I can still connect with fans, ah, that's yeah, fabulous. Cool. That, that fills that void that I wouldn't have anymore with TV gone. Yeah. So if that answers your question, yes, I'm hoping to not, you know, walk away quietly anytime soon. Right. Do it as long as you can. Although you do know, I say this all the time to people. I say at some point your boss calls you into the office and he goes, you know your last show? Uh, that was your last show. And that's how it's <laughs> that's how it's going to end for all of us. Believe me. That's great. That, that's oh just the way it works in our business. Um, well, listen, you know I, we yeah. could talk for hours. As I yeah. said, at some point we're going to run into each other when we're allowed to leave our homes. Who knows? Yes. Uh, yes. But I, I'm so glad we could reconnect this way. It was great. Thanks for reaching out, Bruce. And like I said, it might be a year or two. Who knows how many months will pass? But. I'll still act the same way, and I know you will as well, which is really great to know.
Linda Cohn, again, somebody that without question has made her mark in this industry, an industry that chews people up and spits them out. You last as long as she did, you did something right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And you can join me every Thursday for a new podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, on the SiriusXM app, I hope you'll be with me next Thursday. I'm Bruce Murray.